The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Weissman pulling his way towards the goal line and he gets in. Everest Williams had him stopped and Weissman would not be denied his 30th career rushing touchdown. Iowa converts all four of its third downs on the drive. They go 76 yards in 12 plays. Well managed, well directed by Jake Rudock. The opening drive, they put seven on the board. Bullock on a third down. Tavon Smith on a third down. And then Weissman powers it in. Hello everyone, this is John Patchett and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyes Mike. We have our weekly Reporters Notebook podcast this week featuring Steve Batterson, who looks back at the Hawks' humiliating loss to Minnesota, previews the Illinois game, and talks Big Ten. You'll also hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Tim Beckman from Illinois. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which includes sports reporters Scott Docterman of the Gazette and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times and KGYM's Tyler Chumeland. The Iowa-Minnesota game highlights are courtesy of ESPN2 with announcers Beth Moens and Joey Galloway. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and remember, the best defense is Prefence. Time now to hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, who was asked about Iowa's impressive opening drive at Minnesota compared to the frustrations for the offense the rest of the game and his team's overall inconsistency. I mean, you know, how do you explain two weeks ago to last week? You know, it's the same question. It just, uh, you know, this this isn't a video game. It's not not a deal where you just plug plays in or plug things in. You know, anything involving people. Uh, you just look around the country, college, pro, or high school. And uh, it's really hard to predict what's going to happen any week. And I don't think it's any different than any other season. So you got to get ready to go. That's all I know is you got to get ready to go, have a good week of practice and preparation, and then go play well. And if you do those things, you give yourself a good chance. If you don't, you know, the doors doors open. Yeah, I've been surprised before. I mean, it wasn't like that was the first time. But, you know, we felt like we had a good week of preparation. I thought our focus was good, uh, including on the trip. I thought the demeanor was good of the team. And, you know, we, we ran up against a team that had, had better demeanor and better focus. And they, they played really well, really well. We didn't play well, and you combine those two, it's kind of like the weather from yesterday to today. It's just, it's not a good thing. Ference talks about the importance of field position in Saturday's game at Illinois, especially with the punting of both teams. Yeah, I mean, that was a big factor Saturday. If you look at their starting position, average field position in ours, uh, it was a huge factor Saturday, as well as turnovers. The, the basics, you know, penalties, turnovers, and, and the day, the deal Saturday was turnovers and special teams, I think, you know. I mean, one of the deals to do. I mean, it's not as simple as that, but um, yeah, these guys have a great punter. This guy's one of the best punters in the country. So if you look at it this season, overall net punting is not a huge discrepancy between us and our opponents. I think it's about two, two and a half yards. So it hasn't been a major factor, but Saturday certainly starting field position was was really tilted their direction. And that probably is part of the reason it felt like we were running uphill all day long. Ference was asked about the importance of the resumption of the Iowa-Illinois rivalry. Yeah, I said it before. It's kind of weird. I did a um, an awards luncheon over in uh, Quad Cities across the river in April. It was during April. And that was the first time it really struck me, 
driving over. I don't know why I was thinking of it, but uh, I started, started thinking about playing in Champaign. And it struck me odd that, you know, we hadn't been there since 08. Not that I'm an expert of geography, but it's next date over. So it's, it's kind of weird that way, especially if you're in the same conference. But, you know, it's uh, probably a reflection of this expansion era that we're living in. And uh, college sports have changed in a lot, of, a lot of different ways. And this is just one more illustration of it. So, yeah, I think it's good. I think it's, uh, it's one of the nice things about the East-West uh, division in the conference. I think that's really going to be just seeing, it feels a little bit more natural. You know, so if we don't play Rutgers for six years, I don't know when we play them, but that, you know, that's not as big a deal as when you don't play one of your border border states. And Kirk was asked about how a team goes about washing the Minnesota loss and whether they even watched video from a game that was played that badly. There's been occasions, and I, I can't remember, cite the year, somewhere in the mid or late 80s, uh, where I remember distinctly we, we lost a game on the road, just came back here and gave everybody a Sunday off. It was just one of those deals where uh, we thought it was best to get everybody away from the building for a day. I, I think maybe we've skipped a film or two since I've been back, but I, I can't remember what game it would be if we did that. So typically what we do is we'll come in and look at it, good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, you learn from everything, good, you know, good or bad. And the trick is to move on once you get past it. You've heard me say it before, you know, players and coaches aren't, aren't like fans or, or media folks. You know, we can't sit around, digest, or dissect it. We've got to move on and get, get ready for the next challenge. So if, if, you, if you do a good job of that, you'll give yourself a chance to compete well Saturday. If you don't, it's kind of like when you're a kid, you know, you can't let the same match burn twice. You know, if, if you do that, then you're fool me once on that one. Next, we hear from Illinois head coach Tim Beckman, who talks about the Illini's second bye week and their preparation for the Iowa Hawkeyes. I think the uh, off week for us came at a good time, no question. You know, as we've talked about since day one, we split everything up into four quarters. I think it's important that our players attack each quarter. This is a uh, the, the last quarter. This is the fourth quarter. You know, we have been very successful in the fourth quarter of football games. So we've talked to that about this football team, and we've talked about finishing, and we talked about what we need to, uh, to get accomplished in these next three football games. We've got uh, great opponents, no question about it. We've got an Iowa football team that's won a lot of football games, that uh, had a couple turnovers in uh, the last football game. And uh, just as we did when we were at Ohio State, you can't turn the football over in big games like that and expect to be successful. So, you know, we know they'll respond and we know that they'll be prepared and ready to play a heck of a football game. And uh, we're looking forward to that also because our kids have worked uh, extremely hard uh, in, t- in these last two weeks. We're excited. Beckman was asked about his starting quarterback, West Luntz, return to action this week. He was back last week. You know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in that an injury really can't take your starting position. You deserved it. The injury was a, you know, misfortunate uh, incident that happened. So uh, if he is healthy, which he is, he'll be our starting quarterback. He had a great week last week. It was good to see him out there. He uh, was throwing the ball very well. And I, and I, and I think also our players got the, uh, the, the the wide receivers got the sense that he was back out there on the football field. So uh, we had, we had uh, two great practices last week. Beckman was asked if there's a correlation between his Illini beating Minnesota and then the Gophers beating Iowa. You know, it's it's college football. You've got to be prepared on Saturday, and it's every game's a different football game. I, I'm, I'm sure Coach would say the same thing. I mean, the turnovers in this, in this game, you know, as we all well are aware of, you can't have them in big football games like that. You know, it it happened to us. I mean, uh, in Columbus. I mean, it was just terrible. And uh, that was something that uh, you can't do if you're going to play the, the teams that uh, you're challenging with to uh, to be a Big Ten champion. And Beckman talks about the similarities between Iowa and Minnesota going into Saturday's game in Champaign. They're very, very similar.
anymore. It's, uh, you know, Big Ten football. I think their offensive line is extremely athletic. Their defensive front is athletic. You know, you can see that those kids have been involved in that program. You know, the Donnell kid lived five yard, uh, five houses from me in Toledo. Uh, I know what type of young man he is. And Andrew, Andrew uh, is a good football player, and you can see why he's starting there. But, again, you see those players that have played in that system, and they're used to running what they do offensively, and they're used to running what they do defensively, and they've been pretty successful at doing it. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. Time now for our weekly Reporter's Notebook show this week with Steve Batterson. You can read Steve's articles in the Quad City Times and online at qctimes.com. You can also follow Steve on Twitter at sbat79. Steve looks back at the Minnesota game, he previews Illinois, reports on the Big Ten, and more. Steve, before we look ahead at the Illinois game, let's take a look back, as painful as it might be, at the stunning defeat at Minnesota. Many think it was the worst loss in the Ferentz era. Iowa was beaten in every phase of the game, knocked out of the Big Ten West Division race, and they lose Floyd of Rosedale. Yeah, not not a good day in Minneapolis from from any perspective. It was, uh, you know, Iowa did get off to a good start in that game, a nice drive to kind of open open things up, but uh, kind of an ominous tone when uh, when Mark Wiseman was dropped for a loss on on the first play of the game, I guess. But uh, it certainly was a day that belonged to the Gophers. Uh, Iowa's defense struggled to get off the field. Minnesota scoring on five of its first six possessions and you know that combined with with three turnovers and some special teams issues it, it all added up to uh, to a very miserable day for the Hawkeyes in Minneapolis and really probably one of the more frustrating experiences that the Hawkeyes have had in a number of years uh, Minnesota simply beat Iowa in a lot of ways in its own game with a very physical uh, approach on, on uh, at the point of attack on both sides of the ball and uh, Iowa really had no answer throughout much of the day at this point in the season it's very fair to say it's a team Iowa is that the only identity it has is inconsistency and at the press conference Tuesday Kirk Ferentz was asked specifically why that was the case and he responded by saying he didn't know and I think he's probably being honest I, I think that uh, it's been very perplexing uh, when you when you take a look at uh, at this team uh, w- what you get from one week to the next has been two two totally different things and there, there has been no rhyme or reason to it uh, you know they, they've struggled against uh, you know some teams that like to uh, to power football uh, such as Minnesota they've struggled with mobile quarterbacks we saw that a little bit with uh, Maryland uh, Iowa State certainly uh, did a nice job in their comeback win against Iowa but you know and then you flip it around and and Iowa did a you know a decent job of, of handling a Northwestern team that likes the power game too and and has had you know some success uh, uh, with uh, with quarterbacks too over time so it's been it's been a uh, it's been an up and down season and, and some of it I think has to do with Iowa's youth at a number of spots particularly on the defensive side of the ball I think that uh, even the coach 
coaches, and Kirk kind of admitted this too, they, they anticipated some ups and downs with, with three first-year starting linebackers, and it certainly has been the case. I think probably the disappointing part of it is is that, you know, here they are 10 games into the season. Those ups and downs have continued, and, and uh, you know, the peaks and valleys are still there as opposed to kind of leveling out, which is what you would anticipate by this point. So the Hawkeyes travel to Champaign this Saturday. It's the first game between the two schools since 2008. Fourth opponent in a row coming off of a bye week for the Hawks. Second road game in a row. Iowa's now 6-3, and 3-2 three, three and two in the Big Ten. Illinois 4-5 and five overall, but only 1-4 and four in the Big Ten. Illinois leads the series overall. They won the last game in Champaign in 2008. That snapped a five-game winning streak in the series for Iowa. Ference is 5-3 and three overall versus Illinois. Tim Beckman, third year, perhaps his last at Illinois, 10-23 and 23 there, and it's his first game, obviously, against Iowa. And one thing about Illinois, even though they're struggling this season, is they have faced the 16th toughest schedule in the FBS so far this year. Yeah, Illinois has had uh, some ups and downs. There, there are some things to like about this Illinois football team, if you're Illinois. Uh, it's been a fairly productive offensive team. Uh, but their defense has been downright offensive too, and, and and they've just been abysmal on that side of the ball. And that's that's kind of been the 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 common thread throughout the three seasons that Tim Beckman has been their coach. They they haven't been able to to uh, successfully sustain anything on the defensive side, and uh, th- that's uh, that's continued to be their issue. Uh, they certainly have uh, you know a terrific young quarterback in West Lantia, and and they've been able to move the ball with with ease. This is a matchup of the top two passing teams in the Big Ten, which uh, is probably uh, something a lot of people wouldn't have anticipated at this point in the season, but that's where things are at, and, and it's going to be uh, uh, you know an interesting matchup on a very cold day in Champaign. Let's focus on the Iowa defense versus the Illinois offense. Again, we've already talked about Iowa's defensive struggles here. They have been susceptible to the run, very susceptible on the edges. Over the last four games, Iowa's defense has averaged over 31 points per game, surrendering over 31 points per game and 231 yards on the ground. They do lead the Big Ten in pass defense in conference games. Illinois' offense is explosive, good skill players, quick strike capability, but very pass-heavy. So on the face of it, at least, you seem to have Iowa's defensive strength going up against Illinois' offensive strength. Yeah, it, it does have that appearance. I, I think that uh, probably the one thing that, you know, the one red flag you might throw up there is is that people have had such success running the ball against Iowa that those pass numbers may be a little out of skew at this point. Illinois, conversely, has struggled to run the football. That's been a season-long issue with them. They do have a solid running back. Uh, Josh Ferguson is a kid who's been around for a couple of years. He's a very capable receiver as well as, well as a running back. He, he's, uh, you know, more if you go back a few years with, to, uh, you know, maybe the, the Fred Russell type mix that, that Iowa has used uh, in past years. Uh, West Lunt is, it will bring uh, something different to their quarterback position than maybe they've had the last few weeks with, with Riley O'Toole and Aaron Bailey uh, both seeing action after Lunt left with the, uh, the fractured fibula in the game against Purdue on October 4th. Lunt will stretch the field a little more. Probably the biggest beneficiary of that will be Geronimo Allison. He's a junior college transfer uh, receiver from uh, um, Iowa Western Community College out in Council Bluffs. Uh, he arrived on campus uh, last uh, spring 
and uh, made a, a pretty quick impact in practices. He's uh, he's got the ability to separate uh, from from defenders and uh, and great quickness. And uh, he's shown some uh, you know terrific hands as well during some of their games. The inability of those other two quarterbacks to maybe throw the deep ball as well as Lunt throws it has probably impacted him a little bit in recent weeks. But uh, um, you know Illinois has some has some strong receivers and and they will find ways to get them open. Bill Cubitt is is uh, kind of the key to it there. He's their offensive coordinator. Iowa fans might remember him as as the head coach at Western Michigan in that uh, dismal game that ended the the 2007 season when you know Western Michigan came into Kinnick and, and won. He likes to mix things up. I mean he he will you know he will give Iowa a number of, of things to work on this week and uh, that includes uh, you know variances in styles of the three quarterbacks who could see action as well as some, uh, some trickery that uh, uh, he's been known for. They, they they gimmick it up a little bit and you know and I'm sure uh, the Hawkeyes are, are preparing to see a lot of jet sweep. That certainly was something that Minnesota was very successful with. Wisconsin is used against Iowa effectively and uh, you know in, in, in Mike Dudek uh, who is a freshman receiver, they, Illinois probably has a has a guy that can make that work as well. Dudek uh, is now set the all-time record for a true freshman wide receiver at Illinois for receiving yards. When we talk about Illinois being pass-heavy, their stats on the season, they've gained 2,409 yards through the air, only 958 on the ground. You talked about Wes Lunt, great arm, but one-dimensional. He's not a run threat. On the other hand, you mentioned O'Toole and Bailey, the backup quarterbacks. They're both very good at the read option, and that's been a particular thorn in the side of Iowa's defense. And that's one reason I think we're going to see more than one quarterback on Saturday. I think, one, they, they've committed to playing Aaron Bailey. He initially was going to redshirt, but when Lunt went down against Purdue, they, they decided to pull the redshirt off of him uh, You know, six games into the season, and part of that commitment was that he was going to see the field for the rest of the year. So uh, there there will be some uh, you know there will be some read option stuff out there that I was going to have to be prepared for, and, it, and it's something that uh, as you indicated, the, the Hawkeyes certainly have struggled against at times this season. And so, you know, kind of a plethora of, of issues potentially out there, uh, uh, which makes this matchup somewhat interesting. I, I think that, uh, you know, on paper, it's a game that Iowa should be able to, to go and, and take care of business. But uh, Illinois will uh, will provide the Iowa defense with, with uh, you know, a, a fairly solid test of, of just its ability to, one, to bounce back from, from what transpired last week, and two, just to, to be flexible enough to deal with uh, a number of, of different types of things that they're that they're going to see a type of matchup that uh, you know Iowa really hasn't seen in a long time. They've seen teams that have kind of skewed uh, probably more towards the run in general, and uh, this is a very different looking offense that the, the defense will be up against. Now the folks who cover Illinois down there say that Ferguson has been inconsistent as a rusher, very good as a receiver, and that their offensive line struggles in run blocking, but it's very good in pass blocking. And the scheme obviously is pass reliant. So the other thing about Illinois is they're minus eight in turnovers. Yes, and and that's been some of that has been related to. Uh to Riley O'Toole's uh, propensity to uh, to throw interceptions, he's he's he, I think, believe he's thrown eight this season. So in somewhat limited action, Riley's Riley's a chucker, and uh, 
sometimes it doesn't always go where where he anticipates. Illinois' offensive line is a little banged up this week, too, and, and, and that's certainly worth noting. Ted Karras is a guy who started 30 of their last 31 games at a, at a guard spot, and uh, he'll be out for the rest of the season. He suffered an injury at the, at the Ohio State game, which was their last game two weeks ago on the 1st of November. Another uh, player that has really been a, a, a constant for them at, at left tackle is another senior in, in, uh, in uh, Simon uh, Sajanovic is also left that game with uh, with an arm injury, but he is anticipated to be back this week. So they're looking for a right guard right now. Joe Spencer is kind of the guy that they've got penciled in at that position, but there could be some rotation going on there. And I would suspect the uh, you know the potential for a little inconsistency up front, which uh, I, I would never question Iowa's uh, willingness to uh, to attack that. Flipping over to the other side of the ball, Iowa's offense versus Illinois' defense. You already talked about how bad Illinois' defense is overall. They have a patchwork defensive line. They've had a lot of injury problems there. They have a very solid linebacking core. Probably that's the strength of their defense, but they give up more than 483 yards per game in total offense to their opponents. Yeah, and, and that's it's been a long-term issue, and, and they they, uh, they hit the junior colleges fairly hard uh, a year ago in hopes of maybe shoring things up a little bit there. Uh, they've got uh, a solid end and a kid by the name of Jihad Ward that came in uh, at mid-year last year, uh, and uh, you know he, he certainly has, has helped a little bit, but uh, yeah, the consistency certainly hasn't been there, and people have uh, have just been running it down their throats uh, pretty much all season long. They're, they're, they're giving up 262 yards a game on the ground. No, nobody else in the Big Ten is, is giving up more than 195, so uh, it tells you how weak this this defense has been against the run. I, I would suspect we're going to see an awful lot of Mark Wiseman and, and Jordan Canzari and and you know whoever else is healthy. The uh, Akram Wadley and, and Jonathan Parker. Uh, you know th- it could be a big day for Iowa's ground game. In the three years under Beckman at Illinois, opponents have 76 rushing touchdowns. By comparison, Iowa has only given up 81 rushing touchdowns in the last eight years. Illinois' defense is, however, blitz heavy. And again, that appears to be because they're trying to compensate for their weak defensive line play, but they blitz early and often, Ferran says, more than any other team Iowa's faced this year. Yeah, with with minimal success in terms of, of, of sacking the quarterback, uh, but the, their numbers are a little strange there. They've been very effective in, in, in getting the guys behind the line. They're, they're fourth in the Big Ten in tackles for a loss. They have 63 through nine games. However, they are uh, they're you know sitting in in, uh, in 12th in, in terms of number of sacks. They've only got to the quarterback 17 times. So they'll they'll be very active. They're gonna they will do what they can to disrupt things. Their success level in terms of reaching the quarterback has been uh, minimized, but uh, uh, they are capable of, of, of you know, impacting things uh, at times. And, and they dropped both Minnesota and Nebraska for 11 tackles for a loss during those games. And uh, they were not successful in doing much with that against Nebraska, but it did certainly help them uh, against Minnesota three weeks ago when, uh, you know, when, it, when they were able to kind of surprise the Gophers in Champaign. From Iowa's perspective, it's an offense that's been inconsistent, the word that is recurring here throughout this conversation. Most puzzling about that is that they're not just in 
inconsistent game to game. They're inconsistent quarter to quarter. It, it has been uh, one of the more bizarre parts of, the, of this season, uh, just to uh, kind of dissect how this team has been. It, it, it got off to the season starting very slowly and finishing strong in games. And lately, uh, you know, they've been very successful. They've scored the, on their first drive in the last three games. And, uh, uh, you know, I, they're still looking for that 60-minute uh, situation. And, and it certainly hasn't occurred yet. And, and uh, it may never. We don't know that. But the lack of consistency on offense has been uh, somewhat puzzling. I mean, we, we've seen some, you know, some solid game plans. We saw that against Northwestern when they mix things up pretty well. We saw it early on in Minnesota in some ways, too, when, uh, you know, the, the, the screen passes to Bullock, I think, were, uh, were a nice wrinkle that uh, uh, certainly allowed Iowa to move the chains early. But uh, then when things kind of snowballed out of control, uh, they kind of went back into their, you know, into their shell a little bit. And, uh, the, you know, the imagination went out the window, and I think it, it kind of went into survival mode at that point. And, but, but you're right. I mean, the, the rushing attack has been very inconsistent. The passing game has been fairly solid, but just sporadic on occasions and, and uh, certainly has probably been a little more horizontal than people uh, you know, continue to want. But, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, uh, it's an offense where the, there's plenty of potential. You see the potential, but the, you know, the execution simply hasn't been there. Iowa is sixth in the Big Ten in total offense, 379 yards per game. Second in pass offense in Big Ten games only. In spite of all of that inconsistency, though, and we talked about this with Scott Docterman last week, too, it's kind of, um, it's been real interesting to watch how quickly Mark Wiseman, Jake Rudock, and Cavante Martin-Manley are, are continue to climb the career charts at Iowa. Yeah, those guys are, are you know, have been productive. Cavante is, is closing in on the on the receptions record, Wiseman on, on the rushing touchdowns mark, and yeah, it, it has been an offense that has shown the ability to move the ball, and, and, and they certainly know how to get the ball into into their, you know, into their top players' hands when, when it matters. I mean, I was going to go to Wiseman on, on short yardage situations near the goal line, and really, uh, you know, in third and short, a lot of times, he's going to be the guy getting the carry. We've seen that, and, and he does a very good job with that. He's a, a strong physical runner and, and uh, you know, a perfect back for those types of situations. Uh, Martin Manley, 19 of his 37 catches this year have, have been for either a touchdown or a first down. You know, and that, that, that tells you that the guy is where he needs to be and, and uh, has done a solid job of, uh, of producing uh, progress for, for the offense. But, uh, uh, you know, where the inconsistencies come in are, are some of those downs in between, and, and it, some of that's young players. I mean, we've seen Akram Wadley put the ball on the carpet a couple of times over the last two games, and that's to be expected uh, with young players. Uh, you know, the key is to get them to move beyond that and, and just go compete, and hopefully, uh, I'm sure that's, uh, you know, turnovers were a huge factor last week in Minnesota, as they were at Maryland. Uh, both games, they gave it away three times, and, and uh, you know, the, those lead the points that uh, that make a difference, and, and, and they certainly set a tone as they did the other day. Even if it ever really existed, the splitting time at quarterback thingy appears to be over, at least uh, based on how much short shrift uh, Kirk gave to that at his, at his Tuesday press conference. After this break, Steve talks Iowa-Illinois special teams and the Big Ten. (music) 
Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and you can make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com. Go to the news and events section and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette and the Quad City Times. Special teams. Going into a situation where special teams can be absolutely critical in this game, as is generally the case, field position will be key, and that's particularly important at Memorial Stadium down in Champaign because the only elevation change in that part of the state there are the overpasses on the interstate, and you can have a lot of wind blowing through that stadium. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Having uh, having covered Illinois for nearly a decade uh, here at the Times uh, as well, it, it's uh, it's one of those facilities where the weather can and does play a factor in games. The uh, the towers on on the uh, the corners of that stadium provide some uh, circular motion of winds from time to time, and I've I've seen flags blowing in two different directions off the top of the goalpost in in that facility at games, and and it will be a factor, and and there's no question about that. It's that time of the year where that that typically happens, and you know these are two teams that have some very differing special teams issues, but they've both got issues on special teams, and it, it's uh, it, it certainly you know has the potential to be a, a determining factor this week. And you know Illinois has got uh, has one of the top punters in, in, in the Big Ten, and in Justin Devernois, and uh, you know he, he's a kid that's averaging 45-7 a, a punt, and and uh, you know they, he certainly has had plenty of practice with their offense, and it's uh, you know he, he's a guy that has 16 punts of 50 or more yards this year, so. You know, he's used to punting in that facility, knows it a little bit, and, and obviously Iowa's issues in the punting game are well documented. It, it's been inconsistent from the start. It hasn't changed, and uh, that could lead to uh, to some short fields on, on Saturday if, if, if the Hawkeyes aren't careful. On the other side of the coin, Marshall Kane for Iowa continues to excel on his kickoffs. He's fourth in the nation and second in the Big Ten in touchbacks. And Iowa's kick return game continues to do very well, especially with Jonathan Parker. Absolutely. He's been probably one of the better stories on this football team in, in recent weeks, and you know his ability on returns has, has been uh, welcome news for the Hawkeyes. There's there's no question about that. Um, Illinois has issues at kicker. They've been season long issues. They haven't had a field goal in a game since September 20th. They they've got uh, a couple of kids that have kind of rotated in and out, and neither of which has had uh, you know a ton of success. Uh, David Reisner is a sophomore, and Taylor Zalewski is a uh, you know is a junior, and they've both been kind of hot and cold and and it's uh it's been an issue for for them that uh you know iowa certainly should be in a position to maybe you know exploit that opportunity uh just like illinois probably hopes to exploit its advantage in the punting game prediction i i think this is a game that iowa will show up as a very angry football team i think that uh, we'll see uh a team that uh was embarrassed last week much like minnesota was embarrassed a couple of weeks ago when it visited champagne and, and took its frustration
frustrations out in some respects on, on Iowa a week ago. So I, I think the Hawkeyes will show up with a very spirited uh, performance. I, I suspect that uh, they will find a way to win in Champaign. I think it'll probably be a, uh, you know, probably a, a fairly uh, high-scoring game for, for an Iowa-Illinois game, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of about a 31 to maybe a 24-type score. If they don't win this game, the season could go into a tailspin very quickly. Yeah, I, I would agree. This, this is this is the pivotal moment in, in this season, given what took place last week in Minneapolis. It, it's a, a situation where if they're much like Minnesota faced with a week ago, that was kind of a must-win for them with, with Ohio State, Nebraska, and Wisconsin still on their schedule. Iowa still has both the Cornhuskers and Badgers as well after this week. And given that they let one get away uh, in Minneapolis last week, this is probably Iowa's must-win. Illinois has something to play for, too. They're, they're, uh, this is the first time in three years that they've gone into November with four wins. They finished with Penn State and Northwestern as well, and they're, they're still talking about a bowl berth there and, and getting to six wins, which is something that uh, has eluded them for a couple of years. So there, there's been a big push uh, there over the over the bye week last week and this week in terms of, of uh, you know, getting the mindset right to kind of fight for uh, for that fifth win and, and then potentially a six down the road. And, you know, their schedule is certainly a, a little more manageable. They've already kind of been through the meat grinder of, of, of Wisconsin and Minnesota and, and, and Nebraska. And, and so this is, a, you know, a, a big game for them as well. But I, I think Iowa will probably end up prevailing with just its strength probably on, on the lines being the difference. Closing out, as we usually do with some Big Ten talk, last weekend made things a little more interesting, shook them up a bit, frankly, in, in the Big Ten with Ohio State soundly defeating Michigan State in East Lansing. That could leave the Big Ten looking from the outside in the, the four-team playoff at the end of the year. In the West Division, you now have Iowa out of the Big Ten race there with Nebraska and Wisconsin and Minnesota still in it. And uh, the Cornhuskers and Wisconsin play each other this Saturday, so it'll be the first elimination game, and, and they play for a brand new trophy called the Freedom Trophy. Quite the prize, absolutely. It <laughs> uh, should be quite the game, too. Uh, you know, Nebraska obviously uh, looking to get uh, Amir Abdullah back healthy. Uh, all, from all indications, it looks like he's going to try to give it a go this week coming off of that uh, that MCL sprain uh, against Melvin Gordon in Wisconsin. So you've got two of, the, two of the more electric backs in the country on the same field in, in Madison on Saturday. Should be an entertaining ball game. Uh, um, and, and you're right, it is going to impact uh, things down the stretch. And, you know, I, and let's face it, I was in a situation right now with, with Minnesota playing Ohio State this week that, uh, you know, they still, to a degree, control things. Uh, if uh, Ohio State is able to go to Minneapolis and has some success, then I was in a position that if it wins this week, that those last two games still have some meaning. And, and uh, it's going to be an interesting fight to the finish in the West because all those teams are fairly capable on a given day. And, you know, as we've seen, uh, consistency has not been the strength of, of a lot of folks in, in the Big Ten this season. And uh, you know, it's going to be uh, a fun final three weeks of this season, I would suspect. But, uh, you know, on the on the flip side out east, uh, you know, Ohio State, I think, is probably kicking itself for that loss to Virginia Tech because that's going to separate the Buckeyes from uh, the potential for a very special season. And, uh, you know, JT Barrett continues to kind of settle in at quarterback. And, you know, he was terrific against Michigan State in, uh, last week and really handed the Spartans uh, the type of loss that they haven't had in a long, long time. And it'll be, uh, you know, interesting to see, you know, how they how they respond over time. Michigan State is, uh, they're at Maryland on, on Saturday night.
tonight. It, it'll be another interesting test there, although Maryland now without Diggs for uh, Pierce the rest of the season uh, will be a very different team offensively as well. So, you know, it, it's uh, the Ohio State-Minnesota game been up on the tundra in Minneapolis this week has a lot of potential to be an interesting matchup, and, and we'll see how both of those teams handle a big win. Yeah, Hawkeye fans can get a preview of the next two-star running backs are going to face here because Nebraska at Wisconsin kicks off right after the Iowa-Illinois game. Amir Abdullah for the Cornhuskers leads the conference in all-purpose yards at about 188 per game, and Melvin Gordon leads the country in rushing yards at about 167. So the defense for Iowa better figure out some things fast. The other kind of odd in terms of scheduling and maybe somewhat interesting game is uh, Northwestern going to South Bend to play Notre Dame. This is probably one of those games that this week they're probably sitting there wondering why they uh, agreed to to <laughs> you know take <laughs> take take on this challenge at this date in the season. Uh, yeah, because obviously Northwestern isn't a must-win situation. They're sitting at three and six right now, and and one more game, and and uh, they, you know their their bowl game will be that matchup with Illinois on Thanksgiving weekend. It's a, uh, a challenging matchup, uh, especially given that. Uh, Notre Dame is coming off of a very uh, frustrating loss at, at Arizona State itself, so it, it could be a long day uh, for the Wildcats if they don't get the ship righted, which uh, uh, they certainly didn't at, at Michigan last weekend. I, I appreciate the fact that, uh, that Pat Fitzgerald decided to go for the win. As he put it, he doesn't regret that decision. The only thing he regrets is that they didn't convert it, and uh, it uh, left uh, left the Wildcats in a, in a very precarious position heading into the final weeks of the season. I have no opinions. I have an opinion. I want the season to be over. Yeah. Final 10 seconds. They'll just have to snap the ball. One more snap, and that'll do it. And there they go, running for Floyd. First time since 67. They've got the pig and the jug. Floyd of Rosedale is back in Minneapolis, 51-14, to 14, the final... Our thanks again to ESPN2 for the game highlights this week. And as always, thanks to Steve Batterson. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast and that you'll come back for more. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.